Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores this great, big, wild, wonderful world of tabletop wargaming that we currently live in. Cast Dice is the podcast that explores the notion that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many games out there that you know we can go spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on that are worth playing. There are just too many to keep track of. And so the purpose of Cast Dice is to sort of talk through quite a few of those games, industry events, um, and things that I or my guests enjoy. My name is Brad, and today I am joined by one of my favorite guests, a man who has a standing invitation to come back to this show any darn time he likes to talk about literally anything. Um, and today he's taken me up on that. Uh, of course, you would know this man from the old WWPD slash Bolt Action Alliance days. Uh, of course, I am talking about the bear man, the one, the only, Seamus. Welcome back to Cast Dice. Brad, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Anytime, baby. Anytime. You know I love having you on. So exactly. what we are going to talk about today, though, isn't bolt action. It is something very different. In fact, it might even get a little controversial today. There's definite potential for that, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think you're like, oh, God, do we have to talk about that part? Uh, but as, <laughs> as an Australian, yes, we're going to talk about that part. Yeah. Um, now, as much as I would like to uh, play uh, the certain do-do-do-do-do-do music uh, coming into this podcast, I'm pretty sure I don't have the permission to do that. So, um, with that cue, uh, the fans of you would know that, of course, today we are talking about Harry Potter himself, uh, or for those in the U.S., Harry Potter. Um, as a primary school teacher, I absolutely adore the Harry Potter series. Uh, I not only enjoy reading it, I enjoy reading it to children. Uh, as I typically teach middle primary years, I have the joy of being able to introduce the first Harry Potter book to class after class of students every year. And for the upper primary, there's always books later in the series that I can share. And it's just something that the kids enjoy, that I enjoy, and it's a great time. Now, Seamus, before we get into the game itself, you are also a big Potter fan. I am. I, I, I have actually gone to that uh, next level nerd, and I, I have a decal on the back of my car. Nice. And is it's not of the TIE Fighters strafing your family? Um, what is it? No. I, it's actually just the Hogwarts logo, but uh, nice. I, I do also have a Millennium Falcon on the back, too, because I, I, I like to next level nerd. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I keep um, my wife, of course, is British and um, she goes back every couple of years and I've been threatening to go back with her. Uh, my wife, also a big Potter fan. Uh, and of yes. course, we are going to go to Harry Potter World. Uh, what is it in London? Uh, I, wherever it is in the UK. I believe so. We're going. Yeah. Uh, we just haven't been back in recent years to do it. And of course, now um, Universal Studios has the Harry Potter sections of their theme parks. Um, yep. And I keep threatening to do one of those. We even have one in Australia. But of course, I think uh, having grown up in Japan, I think I might have to go up to the Tokyo one. But hmm. Yep. Yes, uh, I definitely have to have a butterbeer and walk down Diagon Alley. I think that would be truly amazing. It would. Yes. It would. 
Now, we are not here to talk about Potter in general today. Instead, we are going to talk about a new game, a game that was very uh, popular, and I'm going to throw out there controversial um with i was thinking of exactly that word yes kickstarter uh yes the harry potter miniatures game by night models now seamus this is your first experience with night isn't it that is correct um now i have messed around with the batman and the dc games um which of course were made by those fine gentlemen as well. And if you go back through the old LRDG2 episodes, which is sort of the progenitor of this podcast, uh, you can find me interviewing um, some very talented people who love the Batman game and go into quite a lot of detail about how that game works. Uh, of course, that and, game is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and, and pictures of the models that Patch painted because goodness, were some of those beautiful. Right. Oh, I was gonna get to that in a minute. Um, well, you beat me. To, you beat me to it. Whoops. So no, if you if you go to the Cast Ice, um, the Cast Ice Facebook page, and you search up, and I think you search Batman, uh, you will see the pictures of Patch's models. Uh, I'm gonna be pulling those out uh, in a very short period of time because uh, I've been watching Titans with my wife, new to Netflix. Mm. And how like oh, so good. It's it's what a DC show on Netflix should be. Yes, ultra violent, but it it falls in the like Marvel um Netflix world. I mean clearly it's a different world, but has the same sort yeah. of feel and I we're really enjoying watching it. So um but I'm I'm yeah, but I keep going, I want to play with this. I want to put it on a tabletop. Uh and I had a wonderful time playing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles using the turtles versus the foot with a friend of the show, Dave Monroe, recently. We were playing 7TV, um, and I have um, the models for those. And if you, I mean, literally, just different characters, I could use the same ruined cityscape and play Batman just as easily with the same rule yes. set, and it would be wonderfully cinematic. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with those beautiful models painted by Patch. But night models, I, I going where I was, I think I was going at one point. Uh, I can't, I can't remember. Um, they do. They are known primarily for making phenomenal models. Um, they were all yes. metal to start with, um, but in recent years they've shifted to plastic and resin, uh, mainly resin. And their the detailing and the scale, I mean, they, their stuff is truly intimidating to sit down and paint sometimes because the detail is fine. It, it's less um, hero scaled. It's not as heroic, so you don't get the giant the gigant heads and hands. Everything is sort of <laughs> properly yes. to scale, and um, because they tend to do license models so they will have you know for the marvel game when they had the license of that or dc or now how harry potter that has to look like the real people who play those things right. uh, who those play those characters um they have to be approved and so they typically really do look like and for me who's used to playing the heroic scale or painting and building that's really intimidating um Seamus, enough of me sort of rambling on about <laughs> how good their models are. You are holding the newest models by Night Miniatures. 
um, you have received your part of the Harry Potter Kickstarter. Tell us about Correct. what the models are like and how it differs or is similar to other things you've done before. Well, first of all, they are 35 millimeter, I believe. Yes. Um, so, so they're a little bit taller, but exactly like you said, um, they're they're very realistically proportioned. And one of the cool things about that is, um, you know, when you have like the younger characters, like the Harry Potter, the Ron Weasley, and then you have the older students like Cho Chang, Cedric Diggory, the Weasley twins. They are proportioned as well. Uh, you know, like the older model, the, the models of the older kids are taller. Uh, the adults are a little bit taller. Even when you stand McGonagall next to Umbridge, they're uh, they're different heights. That's cool. You know, with uh, with some miniatures companies, it's everything is the same height regardless yeah. of proportion. But these, they actually scale within the proper scale. Uh, so I, I I think that's something that's really cool. Especially uh, the differentiation between the heights of the students by sort of year level or by the height of the character or the actor yes. or actress who plays those characters. That's phenomenal. Yes. I didn't realize they were that detailed. It is. Yeah. No, I was, uh, you know, having come from uh, primarily World War II gaming, obviously, uh, you know, you've got your different sculpts with the, some of them are realistically proportioned, e.g. Perry. Some of them are mm -hmm. uh, crazily proportioned, e.g. Artisan. But these, I think, just every one of the models that I've seen um, has just been spot on and, and just amazing. Yeah, man, I could not agree more. Um, I put together, so I started back when DC, the DC range was fairly new. And so I, I started painting a penguin crew and I was just blown away at the level of detail. But then a couple years later, I went back and revisited and I got the Zod crew for DC. And yeah. I could not believe the jump in detail. Um, yes. And it was it's incredible. And then to take those early sculpts and compare them to Zod and then fast forward another year or two to now, um, especially given now that they've jumped to resin, so they're getting sharper detail. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine the stuff you're holding. Um, now, one thing that I did notice, because things are slighter and more realistic, that sometimes um, I would have concerns about some of the models, some of the little joints like wrists and ankles, um, because the, they, those are truly fine on some of the models. Um, yes. one of my, so my Batgirl has a, um, has a very broken ankle, um, because the model, the entire model balances on one tiny little ankle. Um, and yeah. unlike Malifaux where that often happens, where that's plastic, this is a metal model and a heavy metal model oh, wow. because her cape is billowing and you go, how are you going to do? So I'm basically going to have to, for that model, drill a giant pin in wrecking her you know the top of her foot and her leg and then sculpt it back into place and then try and pa yep. paint match patch which let me tell you is one of my least favorite things in the world to do um just for that one ankle but i can't imagine it's all orange brown based yeah, everything is orange brown plus something else <laughs> uh, i think this is before he found orange brown um oh wow yeah it's a while ago but the dark times yeah exactly it was it was Batman, very dark. Um, but if you, I can't imagine like Dobby, or right. 
Yeah, so Fretcher. Dobby was surprisingly one of the easiest. Um, well, I mean, his 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 proportions are very small, obviously, but uh, he's got two feet squarely planted on what would be the base. Mm. But um, my my two examples would be uh, the Hermione model mm. or the Ginny Weasley model. Uh, you know, me and my sort of. Uh, the uh, thing about clear bases, uh, I had very much dreamt of doing these characters on clear bases because then you could, you know, whether it's Diagon Alley or the mm-hmm. Forbidden Forest or in the Hogwarts dungeon or something like that, then the bases would always match. But uh, opening the box and just looking at how slight those feet, just like your Batgirl thing, except in resin, uh, they were just so small. And, yeah. and I don't have a lot of experience with resin. I feel it's sort of a brittle resin, personally. Yeah. So I very quickly realized that uh, um, I was just going to have to stick with the bases as as supplied. I, I just didn't have the uh, gumption enough of it to to do clear basing for everything. Well, that said, you you've done some because um, the night models. One of the base sets that they started giving out later in the Batman range and the DC range sort of had a cobblestone top. Um, mm-hmm. and the Harry Potter ones have those as well, right? Yep, exactly. But the problem is the Harry Potter models themselves, because they're slotter bases, um, you <laughs> slot them in, but the top of the slotter doesn't match the base. So I've noticed that at you've all. been, scu- yeah, at all. So I noticed you've been sculpting the cobblestone back in with green stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's been, uh, each batch of models that I do is a learning experience. Like, um, so there's there's weird like uh, you know when you when you 3D print something there you'll find like little joins mm-hmm. that just support parts that stick out and things. Yep. There's there's like weird weirdly on the chins you know from the the base of the neck to the chin there are these things or uh, for some reason all of them have them under their feet so in order to even fit the slot into the the base into the slot mm-hmm. however you word that. You've got to cut away stuff. And then sometimes the tab on the bottom of the miniature is actually too tall for the base. So you have to oh. cut that down so that it's at least flush. That's an old then, like uh, GW said, thing. That Yeah. yeah. They, he'd be like, ugh, i got to cut the in half. Ugh. Yeah. It was a huge trip down memory lane. And, and exactly. I haven't worked with slotted bases in like 20 years, man. It was crazy. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. But. Yeah, so in each one I get a little bit better at it and make it a little more uh, subtle with each batch that I do. So I kind of wish I would have started with some of the more secondary characters first and had my learning curve there, yeah. uh, both with modeling and painting. But I started with the main heroes first. So, you know, live and learn, I guess. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned those little joins um, that you would see in the way you likened it to 3D printing. Um Back in the day, I worked for GW, and as part of my training course, sort of the week before I got on the phones for the first time, I spent time working in a number of departments in the business, um, just so I, they did it so that, you know, we would have, so we'd work in, on the phones in the morning listening to people, and then in the afternoons, we would go to different parts of the business, and we'd work, you know, packing boxes or working in the casting department or you know working in the retail shop or listening to mail order just so we knew what was going on in the different parts of the business especially those 
that related to sales. So we didn't often spend a lot of time in promotions, mainly because I think the promotions guys hated us, but <clears throat> that's another thing entirely. Um, but I got to spend an afternoon in casting. Now, they wouldn't let me go anywhere near casting my own models um, from an OH&S standpoint, right. you know, occupational health and safety. That would have been disastrous. Um, hot pewter, woohoo! Um, however, um, they did talk through the process of how molding war, you know, how the mold works. And so um, what you're describing are the little channels that the resin runs through to get to those parts. And thinking back to some of my early night models, some of the details that would struggle were the feet, the faces, and the fingers on the hands. Those were the most often miscast um, things that people were complaining about online, at least that I saw, because um, the, the metal from when the mold was spinning and they were injecting the metal into it wasn't getting to those places. So it looks like, and I, now this is pure speculation, that Knight has taken on that feedback and they've actually gone to fix the casting in those areas by adding the little channels to make sure the resin gets to there. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know, just a little bit of uh, rampant speculation on a... Yeah. That's no, it would the... make sense to given mm. given the way that they're placed. Mm. I'll subscribe to your theory. Hey, there you go. Woo! First good theory of the day. I'll take it. Yes. Um Well, okay. So, how big did you go on the Kickstarter? Because I know that the Kickstarter, you could go all in and end up with tons of models, or you could just get a few models. Um, yeah. How deep did you go? We, I think our buy-in was about 200 USD. Mm -hmm. We went for a package that was called the Hogwarts pack. Mm. So it had basically all of the students, um, minus, uh, I, uh, Cedric Diggory, I think is the only student that we didn't get because he had to go to an even higher buy-in to get that one. But, yeah. um, you know. Uh, not really a big loss for me personally there. Mm -hmm. uh, but we got the main characters. We got like the Luna, Love Good, Cho. Nice. Um, you know, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool characters. Uh, that that package came with Neville Longbottom, yeah. who's arguably one of the greatest heroes in that whole story. Uh, um, the best then, hero uh, in that story. Thank you. Yes. And then uh, Pansy Parkinson, one of the lesser known mm -hmm. Slytherins, Slytherins, but yep. uh, Great for for bulking out the the Slytherin gang, if you if you want to call it that. So mm -hmm. um, we got a, a Dumbledore and an Argus Filch came with that set. So um, yeah, I mean we've got a we've got a really good batch of of characters here. And then um, I I couldn't resist and bought into the uh, the professors pack. So mm -hmm. we got uh, Umbridge, who is just a, a great low level villain, and uh, <laughs> McGonagall, who's probably my favorite character. Uh, uh, Snape, who is uh, easily one of the best characters for the game. Mm -hmm. uh, his his abilities are just amazing. Oh, are they? And uh, yeah. And I was actually really proud uh, to see the the fourth professor in that pack is um, Gilderoy Lockhart, which mm -hmm. he was he was a very humorous character in the book, but then Ken, Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of him on the screen was just uh, amazing. Yeah, um, and they actually made him useful in the game. They so they kind of mixed uh, uh, Branagh's portrayal with how he kind of read in the books. So he's not entirely useless, but he's certainly not going to be one of your, your powerhouse characters. Right. So 
I thought that was cool. That is cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I mean, so one of the things that people were talking about when this game was first being announced was, oh, it's a Harry Potter battle game. And it's like, uh, no, um, I, no, no. I mean, sure. I'm sure there are scenarios where you can go, um, you know, the Potter gang, the Order of the Phoenix against the Death Eaters. Um, I'm sure that that is a thing. And I'm sure later on, um, if you have the later packs, you can play the battle for Hogwarts. I'm sure of that. But mm -hmm. that isn't the focus of this game, is it? You, you've actually played this game. So tell us a little bit about the game itself, how it plays. Um, is it more narrative? How, how does it work? That actually is one of my favorite things. And one of the things I, I was watching in a video that sort of really um, pushed me to buy into it, given the risks that we all assumed. Uh, there are actually three different ways you can play. Um, you can do uh, a, a typical, like, you know, you spend X number of galleons on Slytherins, I'll spend the same on Gryffindor, and we'll just duke it out and go for objective grabs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or uh, you can do a campaign where your characters, by achieving objectives and challenges, can get better, and then um, you're basically competing against the other person in a campaign, so you're, you're, everybody grows. And then... Thirdly, you can also play it as a cooperative where one person takes the role of the quote-unquote bad guys and everybody else works as a team. So like all the creatures in the game, like the the troll mm -hmm. that you see in the dungeons, um, the acromantulas, the, the giant spiders, mm -hmm. uh, there's two versions of those where you can take them as a creatures gang, if you will, or a lower cost um, where you can use them as just like a deck of creatures and you throw those at a group of players, and they kind of have to go through almost like a dungeon crawl kind of thing. Nice. So there are the three different modes, and kind of like you were almost alluding to earlier, you can play it as students, which is a real low-level, great introductory sort of game, or you can upscale it, and you can go Order of the Phoenix. You could, you could go really crazy and bring in Dumbledore and Voldemort and you know just scale at different levels that way. So... Um, there's a lot of different ways to play this and change out models and stuff and almost not play the same game twice. That's rad, man. It sounds yes. like the game really has legs. Yes. I'm, I was very pleasantly surprised at how well the game plays, um, you know, at, at taken as a whole. Uh, you know, we, we've kind of uh, hinted and circled around the whole controversy thing. Uh, for me personally, I think uh, the benefits to the game and the way it plays and how easy it is to learn sort of offset the the frustrations and the risks. So uh, for me, that was a huge plus. Nice. Now, is is it is it on um, hex or grid? Um, sorry, grid when you play it, or do you use tape measures? Well, or can you uh, do both? The board. The, the game comes with boards, and they're three-centimeter squares. Everything moves okay. three squares, unless they have special abilities to allow them to move more. Uh, there are very basic rules about how you can move them, interact with terrain, and then line of sight using uh, square to square. Um, all of us uh, gamers, you know, we, we come from a different sort of uh, mentality than I think the game is intended. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm building 3D terrain. Like, I took a 
you know, a pink foam square and actually cut three centimeter squares into it. So it's a hybrid miniature slash board game. And then uh, there's even, I've seen some guys, you know, you could very easily translate. Well, if, you know, all the squares are three centimeters, everything moves three, everything has a range of right. X squares. You could very easily play that free form with a tape measure. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking that you could just, I always forget it's centimeters um, because that's one of the things the knight does. Um, now, when you yes. say you, you were cutting your board, did you do the old trick of taking pink foam and then actually using a ruler but a ballpoint pen? Or yeah, I, I used the dull color pencil, but yeah, essentially. Yeah, same difference. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was like, so, oh, God, did you actually cut it with a knife? Because that sounds like torture. But no, if you're actually no. using a, like, yeah, a tip, that, that makes a <laughs> lot more sense. I almost think the knife might have been easier. I had some serious hand cramps after doing all those squares. But right? it's worth it. Yeah. It's looking really good. Yeah, man. As someone who's uh, been revisiting sculpting fur on models, I just look at models <laughs> and go, hand cramp, ouch. Ah, I, I need to build these muscles back up. This is, oh, my, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's working right. muscle groups we're not used to. Anyway. All right. So, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to the controversy and the Kickstarter and all that in yeah. a bit. But uh, let's continue to talk about some of the things that you like about the game. Now, you're doing something that's pretty special with your version of the game. Um, I know because you got it before Christmas and you were hoping that everything arrived beforehand um, for a very special reason, um, you being a family man. Um, why don't you tell us about yeah. that? Because that I think that is really the icing on the cake for me as, you know, watching you go through your hobby for this game. Yeah, it was, uh, so my, my whole family were really big into the, uh, the IP of Harry Potter, you know, the books we read as a family, we've watched some of the movies to an age appropriate limit. And, mm -hmm. um, my wife and I, when we, we pre-ordered our whole idea was to paint up some of the models and then, um, you know, we always do family games over the holidays. So that was the idea is throw it on the table and just surprise the kids with it because, um, you know, it's a way for them to interact. You know, they see me painting all the time and, you know, bolt action, frost grave, things like that. There are a lot of rules to remember. Right. And since this is a lot simpler, this is something we can easily do as a family. So we've had a couple of family games already and, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing amount of fun. But you had some late nights getting it all done for Chrissy. <laughs> There were a few. There were a few. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you know we the uh, I, I don't think it showed up until the end of November, and then of course I was missing some pieces, um, so uh, I ended up having to just order a second box set from a place in the states to get the bits that I needed to do. You know, I was missing Ron Weasley, who's my son's favorite character, and I'm like, you can't not have Ron. Right? I, I, I got to do it. You know, so. But it, it all went over really well. Everybody was happy with it. And, uh, you know, there was the initial frustration as we all learned the game. You know, I'm sitting here flipping through the rule book mm -hmm. back and forth. But, you know, we played it a couple of times. We're all starting to get the rhythm of it and figure out the things we're doing wrong. And uh, it's just it's a cool family game. That's rad, man. Now, yeah. that, that does sort of beg the next question of it is easy enough for you to pick up and play with your children. Do you need to simplify it or is the game designed for sort of you? You know, that's a good question. I honestly don't know what the age limit is on it. Um, my my family, we, we are gamers and, you know, uh, our expectation is you play the game 
once you start, you finish it and you never pull punches. You play the game to play it. And, mm. uh, so our, our kids are really good at picking up on rules. Uh, uh, you know, I, obviously I have a little bit of an edge since a lot of this falls into the typical miniatures game mindset, but mm-hmm. you know, we've dabbled a little bit in some of that already. So we've kind of laid the foundation, but, um, you know, my, my, uh, soon to be 10 year old, he got it quickly and uh, um, my soon-to-be seven-year-old struggles with some of it, but got the basics, you know, yeah. was able to move and figure out target priority and choosing objective versus attack and that kind of thing. So totally. uh, I think it lends itself well to guided gameplay for even younger ages as well. Nice. Well, I guess that brings me to my next question. Um, I mean, a lot of games, um, I seem to be talking, to, I mean, I talked to the, the fine gentleman who wrote... Uh, bot war recently and talking to other game designers when they're building games um, the idea is to create something that's simple enough to pick up and play but then has the depth that you keep playing Um, do you think that this achieves that I do I really do Um, I think the biggest complication honestly is because it is a hybrid of like an advanced board game like you'd see uh, you know, like the fantasy flight games mm-hmm. type board games where yeah. there's a ton of cards. So it's like a hybrid between an advanced board game and a miniatures game. I think the most difficult part is all of the different cards to keep track of. Right. But if you're used to board games that like the kind FFG put out and you're used to drowning in tokens or cards, yeah. um, you know, if you can manage those, then it sounds like it's it's got the legs. Um, and because yeah, it has those it cards... Really you're able to have differentiated play experience. So yeah. nice. And and quite frankly, some of the cards you don't necessarily need to play. Uh, you know, when we're when we're just learning it, we didn't use some of the cards. Mm. You know, they're they're cool and there's great in-game effects, but if you're trying to learn a game with uh, age and experience level is greatly varied as ours, you know, you you simplify things here and there, but I I don't feel like the game missed anything by not using them the first time. And then the second time we introduced them and it got even better. Nice. And so that brings me to my next question, which was if, uh, if you're big Potter fans and you are um, Potterheads, if you're a giant Potterhead, does this capture what you did? It does it meet your expectations. Do, do you go, man, I just played Harry Potter or is it, I just played a game that's sort of suited like Harry Potter. Yeah, no, I I think it captures it perfectly. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, you know, like with 40k, it's uh, or, or you know, the old Lord of the Rings strategy game. It's like, oh, Sauron killed Frodo. Uh, <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can have your Slytherin students can run around with killing curses. So in theory, you could have you know uh, Malfoy. Uh, killing a professor in a game if you wanted mm-hmm. to. So there's a sort of uh, honor level that you'd put in there. But right. yeah, like each character is individual. Each character has a card. They have an innate spell and they have uh, different abilities. And I think personally they, they really capture the, the characters pretty well. That's awesome, man. That is so cool. Yeah. I love that um, – they're able to do that because it is such a rich IP that people feel so strongly about that mm-hmm. if, you know, if it hadn't been done right, 
you know, it would have been sad. Yeah. No, I, I think they did a great job and, and, uh, you know, having sat on both sides of that table, the miniature gamer and playing the, the board games and stuff in a family setting, I, I don't think you have to be a war gamer to be able to play it. All right. Well, that brings me that to our next me question, happy. which is, can you play it if you're a war gamer? Let's say I want to pick this up and I want to play it in my local game shop with the local gaming crew. Does this work for that as well? Easily. Uh, I, I actually think it might be too simplistic for, for war gamers. Like, uh, you know, if you, like I said, if you, you take everything is measured in squares and you know there are three centimeter squares, mm-hmm. you can very easily adapt everything to using a tape measure or a measuring stick or something like that. Um, I, I think for, you know, like if I'm coming from playing War Machine or Hordes or Infinity and I go to play this, uh, you know, I can see some more some gamers sitting on their phone half the time because they might be a little bit bored. But um, I, I think it rides that line pretty well and can appeal to both sides of the table. Well, while we were talking, I looked it up, and it looks like uh, three centimeters is about one point two inches. So I was thinking, oh yeah, it's a it's about an inch, and it is about an inch. But I don't think you could just do, oh yeah, each square is one inch and just play that way. Um, Maybe if you decided to play consistently that way, it would work. But yeah. that would actually shorten the ranges uh, if you were playing someone else. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, so I guess that's that's part of my first question is um, how mechanically the game would work. So you've got it laid out on a grid, and you're mm-hmm. moving the three centimeter boxes. Um, how is the turn laid out? Um, is it is it you go I go? Talk to us a little bit about how the game plays. It's it's uh, it's kind of a hybrid. You go, I go. Um, all of the characters have what's called a, a cunning trait mm-hmm. to reflect how clever they are, and the side with the higher cunning goes first. They have initiative. Oh, interesting. And they choose one of their models to activate. They activate, go through. Um, every model can do a, a major action and a minor action. Mm-hmm. So like a minor action is moving or using a potion. They're very simple actions. Um, then uh, complex actions, advanced actions, those are um, attacking or slinging a spell. Um, very, you know, very simplistic. There's not a whole lot of, you know, to do this, do this, to do that, do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either, it's you do one simple and one complex action each turn. Um, and then everything has a range like potions. There's beneficial potions that you'd use on yourself or you can use on a model in an adjacent square. Um, damaging potions like explosive stuff. You know, you can wing that a couple of boxes to gas somebody, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, yeah. And then every character has uh, a series of characteristics like um, they have the four characteristics, magic, courage, temper, and wisdom. Mm. And each of those has a numerical score, higher is better. And you actually use those to solve challenges in the game. Oh, cool. Um, so this is this one part where the, the rules, uh, you can definitely tell um, it's English as a second language and uh, it's their first go at a rule set. You know, there's there's definitely some some bugs. Some Spanglish. 
it's it's really not clear how you do these challenges. It says how to solve them, but it doesn't tell you what the level are. Uh, you know, oh. like what do you use as a challenge? You've got these four characteristics: magic, courage, temper, wisdom. How do you know which of those to use? Um, you know, one of the online groups has a differing opinion. Uh, if you watch the videos with Mark Latham, the author, mm-hmm. um, he states it's one way all the time. Uh, my family and I, we do kind of like, uh, uh, we do sort of a random thing. There's a deck of campaign cards, mm-hmm. and every one of them is, uh, uh, you know, it's like a setting. Like the one I'm looking at here is the Forbidden Forest. If the heroes win this scenario, they get this bonus. If the villain wins, they get this bonus. And that's how you do the campaign play. But at the bottom, it has one of those characteristics. Uh, like this one says Courage 7. And so what you would need to do is get enough characters together with a courage, a combined courage to equal or beat that 7. Okay. So like if I look at Harry Potter, his courage is 4. So he couldn't solve a Courage 7 on his own. He'd have to have one of his teammates come up and um, help help him solve it. Okay. Um, and, and each of them is better at certain things. Like, obviously, uh, Hermione is absolutely brilliant in terms of mental challenges. Um, you know, Ron is really good at um, uh, strength of will kind of challenges, things mm-hmm. like that. That makes uh, sense. It's nice that there's that teamwork aspect. Yes, um, that's but, one of my favorite things, actually. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, as the characters grow through the school, I'm sure those characteristics increase. So it also shows their development as characters. Yep. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. And then every turn, there's a uh, um, there are random event cards. Uh, so like, there's there's always three of them on the sideboard, and whoever is activating uh, a model at that time can choose one. Um, and it has two different choices. Like this one, for example, is uh, plus one def- dice, uh, one defense die against unforgivable curses, or one die to the casting roll of unforgivable curse spells. So, like, there's a light side and a dark side to everything. Oh, cool. So, if if you're about to try and, uh, like, if you know you're facing a Death Eater and they're about to throw an unforgivable curse at you, you'd want that extra defense. If you're that Death Eater, you'd want to grab that card and have an extra die to roll. Right. And you'd have to use that card then. So, yes, a card exactly. may sit on the sideboard until just the right moment but then depending on who's got the initiative the people are going to be trying to grab that card all of a sudden exactly yeah nice that's that's one of the cool things so you know what's the term math hammer mm-hmm. you know you can always look at okay well he's going to cast this spell with this difficulty he can do this many dice and you can do the math in your head and do a risk calculation but then all of a sudden the other player is like oh but i also have this card and that sort of you know, it adds a little bit of a random factor to it as well, it which also, again means yeah. you're never going to play the same game, tw- same game twice. Which, Definitely, like I said, is one of the advantages. And it's one of those things that in the stories, incredible things happen, and in this game, mm-hmm. incredible things can happen. And yes, also with that, um, it if that card's sitting on the side and you know someone's going to be doing trying to cast a, a particularly terrible spell, for example, or you're going to try and block it, or they're going to try and use it for that. It's sitting on the sideboard, turn after turn will create that tension that will make yep. yeah, that will make the game even more exciting while you're playing it. Exactly. And then you can start do that, oh you got me. Um yep. which, which I always do yep. enjoy. 
Yep. The overacting. <laughs> yeah. Which would be great if you're playing with kids. I mean, as a primary school teacher, I'm just thinking of like, yes. there's just a lot of awesome opportunities to play with children in this. And I know that most of the people listening to this probably won't be listening to play with children. But if you are, True. I can see that being very cool. Yeah. I, I find our games are enhanced by having the soundtracks playing in the background. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we were playing um, the Fallout, uh, the FFG Fallout board game, uh, we put on the Fallout music. Um, there's quite a few Facebook, uh, not Facebook, um, YouTube. You go on YouTube and you type Fallout music, and there's quite a few channels that are nothing but music. Nice. From, yeah, all the Fallout games. So you put those on in the background. And as you say, it really adds to the experience. And there's more, as, as a teacher who puts on Harry Potter music in his class all the time, there's even more Harry Potter stuff. It's like an endless supply of Harry Potter official or themed music or backgrounds that you yes. can have on. Like you can have um, the Forbidden Forest on a television in the background uh, and like it'll play music and ambient noise and little creatures will scuttle past. It's very cool. And if you can tie that into your game, that's awesome. It is. Yeah. No, that's a lot of fun. You just have to be careful, uh, like for us, you know, we're playing with our kids who haven't read all the books, mm-hmm. so you kind of have to put on the screensaver because some of the track titles sort of give things away, and you don't want to let them know. Yeah, that makes total sense. No spoilers. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Or, you know, we've seen the movies so many times, my wife and I will hear a track, and, you know, it immediately evokes that scene of the, the mm-hmm. movie and the kids, oh, what's going on here? Uh, you'll learn eventually. Yeah. Don't worry about it right Can't now. Tell you Just play the game. It. Yeah. Roll your dice. Roll your dice. Yeah. Well, I always play with the kids in my class. Um, the kids without fail. I never volunteer, but I always, the kids always ask, Mr. Moran, who's your favorite Harry Potter character? Uh, and uh, it's Neville. And I never tell them until the end of the first book. And I'm like, well, you guys can guess. And they're always like, oh, it's Harry Potter. Oh, it's Ron. Oh, it's, you know, it's Professor McGonagall because she's a teacher. And, you know, you hear all these <laughs> awesome oh it's Hagrid because he's funny um you know awesome but no one ever picks Neville no no and then you get it get to the end and you tell them and they go why like what and you go can't tell you spoilers yeah yeah especially over the series of books yeah he he ends up being pretty awesome yeah he does well okay Let's get, let's get back to the, the game mechanics themselves. So we've talked about a number of decks of cards, and I know that you were talking about introducing different cards as the game went on. Um, have you yes. talked about them all, or are there more to talk about? No, so there, there, there's, there's two more I want to talk about. We okay. talked about the, the campaign cards, which, like I said, we adapt for the individual challenges. But uh, the two other cards are quest cards mm-hmm. and event cards. Cool. Quest cards, you draw three for a side at the beginning of the game. And uh, basically they're tasks. They're, they're like secret tasks you're trying to achieve during the game to get extra victory points. Cool. Because it's not always kill everybody else's characters mm. obviously that's not what the stories are about right it's all about achieving achieving objective points so um like this one uh, this one's one of my favorites it's called the more the better when you score any number of victory points during a round score one additional victory point then discard this card um so i i when i was playing the slytherins against my family as the gryffindors i kept getting that card and it just seemed like a very slytherin thing to do like ah we got a victory point and an extra victory point yeah 
And I'm sure your family loved that you kept playing that. Well, I I did get a few of them, but my my wife uh, very cleverly had one hidden that I didn't know about, and uh, at the very last turn, got an objective, and uh, it ended up nine points to five, I think. So, you, uh, you know, tip tip of the hat to to her and my son strategizing properly and very good use of the cards. I had a very early lead. Like a uh, uh, very typical Slytherin mentality. It was like, I took an early lead. I'm like, I got this now, you know, there's no way they can come back for that many points. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but almost double my points. So <laughs> that's, yep. that's why the quest cards are a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and then the event cards, you draw them at the beginning of the turn and, and play them immediately. And it's just uh, like completely amazing things. Like, uh, uh, this one immediately add two power points to your power pool, and the power points are what you use to to cast spells. So essentially, you get extra spell action that you can cast. Um, nice. Uh, you can place random objective markers. Uh, Acromantulas suddenly scuttle onto the board. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. So um, it, it it really helps stimulate that randomness and the sort of uh, chaotic nature of some of the scenes in the movies yeah i mean the harry potter books and movies are famous for it i mean the shifting stairs alone in in hogwarts (laughs) trying to get from point a to point b when the stairs constantly change um yeah as a student that would have given me nightmares (laughs) yeah yep being late for class and as a teacher still have those same nightmares don't want to be late for class but yeah exactly now for different reasons well right on okay um so how often uh, do spells happen in the game? Is it something that you have to like boost yourself up over a period of time? Is there a resource management? You mentioned PowerPoints. Is that how that mechanic works? Or is it something that you can... Or maybe it depends on the, how advanced the character is on how many spells they can kick out in a given turn slash game. The answer is E, all of the above. Okay. <laughs> So right I mentioned earlier, every character has a cunning value. Yes. Uh, again, how, how clever they are. Mm. That that cunning value is a circle with a number in it. And that number is the number of power points that you get at the beginning of the turn. Every spell requires a certain number of power points to activate. Now, some characters, that circle is white. And those are like the good characters, like Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. uh, you know them. And some of them are black, like the Death Eaters. Mm. Uh, You know, I'm looking at Umbridge, and she she uh, she generates two. So you you add up the cunning value for all of your characters, and that's how many power points you get. So like the Cruciatus Curse takes three dark power points. So uh, some characters can do either light or dark. Some only dark. Some only light. Mm. So I would require three black chips to be able to cast the Cruciatus Curse. And that's just to be able to cast it, and then I have to roll to actually successfully cast it. Um, and this is where one of the one of the neat mechanics as well. So everything is three dice. They're, they're D6s. It's always three dice. Sometimes you add some. Um, but everything is you need a, a three plus, uh, and every success helps you do better at mm. what you're trying to attempt. So, like, let's say, um, let's say in this example, Umbridge wanted to cast the Cruciatus Curse. You'd have to spend three 
black tokens to cast it. Mm -hmm. And then I would roll the three dice and add in her mastery. So her mastery is two. So let's say those three dice all came up threes. That's three successes plus her mastery is five. Now, Now the character I'm casting on rolls those three dice to defend against it. Again, needing threes, and then they add in their defense characteristic. So, uh, okay. Harry Potter, for example, has two defense. So, if he rolled three successes, then the three successes plus the two defense would be five total, which would beat her casting roll of five. So, she wouldn't be able to get the spell off. Right. So, it gets a little bit. A little bit tricky sometimes. There's some math, like uh, the Harry Potter's innate spell is Expecto Patronum, but it's difficulty four, which means he needs four net successes. After I subtract out all the defense successes, I need four left to be able to cast that. Uh, Cruciatus Curse is only one net success, so it's easy to cast. Um uh, like I'm looking at this card here, uh, Bombarda Maxima. Do you remember um, Order of the Phoenix when uh, uh, Umbridge like explodes the wall? That's the oh, spell yeah, yeah. she uses. Mm-hmm. So it's got a. It requires three power points, and it's gray, so it can be black or white or combination of. But it requires two difficulty, uh, so I'd have to have two net successes to successfully cast that. Mm. Well, that's cool. So it's it, it, I like how it's differentiated out. Um, yeah. I, I guess it, 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 I was wondering how they would resolve, um, as you were describing that, sort of neutral characters or ambiguous characters like Snape. Mm-hmm. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he good? Is he bad? Um, so how does a character like Snape or someone who's more morally loose um, work <laughs> in a situation like that? Uh, so Snape actually only generates, uh, dark magic. So you're not going to see him, which is kind of ironic because, uh, his, uh, his Patronus is kind of like a key moment, you know, It is, but he can only cast, he can only cast dark spells. Um, what you, what you'd almost want to do. Um, so, and I don't know if they have this in Batman, but you look at the back of all the character cards and they have, uh, what they call affiliations. So they're either Hogwarts, i.e. the side of good. Um, it's got the Hogwarts logo. Mm-hmm. Or it's got a Death Eater logo, uh, mm-hmm. the side of bad. Or uh, creatures. And creatures can only align with other creatures or uh, people with a special trait. So Snape is both uh, Hogwarts and Death Eater. Um, so you know what you'd want to do is uh, essentially... If you think if you think he's going to be standing up to a Dementor, then you'd put him on a team with somebody who can gain uh, light magic, and then he'd be able to use those to cast the spell. Okay, that makes sense, and it also makes sense yeah. that if he's surrounded by Death Eaters, he isn't going to be casting good magic. In in most cases, no. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the, one of the other cool things is every one of the characters has traits, which are you know you'd call them special abilities in other games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all the students have one called Apprentice, which gives them an extra free PowerPoint. So like if I've got uh, characters with a cunning of two, two, and one, I generate five PowerPoints. But if all three of them are Apprentice, they generate an additional three for free. So oh, okay. there's much more likelihood that they can uh, cast more spells. So, um, 
in this game, sixes are exploding. So if I roll a six, it counts as a success, and then I re-roll it. And if it's another three plus, it's a second success. Okay. And if it's another six, it's it, it continues to explode until it doesn't roll a six. Um, and then there's random events give you either cursed dice or lucky dice. And this is the only time where you roll a fourth die. You add in a fourth die, but if it's a cursed die, you can only keep your lowest numbers. Oh. So yeah. it's your, yeah, you're jinxed and you're, you basically are less likely to be able to pull off what you're trying to do. And some of the cards, you can impose that on your opponent. So like if they are about to cast that spell, you know, it's going to be bad news for your character. You know, if you can grab one of those event cards and throw a jinx die in their mix, they're less likely to pull it off. Um, and then the uh, lucky die, uh, you keep all the, the the high numbers like normal. So students, the apprentice, can't use the lucky die on spellcasting. Mm -hmm. But what's really cool is the professors have a trait called professor, which if you pair them up with apprentices, they can add the lucky die to their spellcasting roles. Oh, that's cool. So there's a cool synergy where if you have students with the professor, the students have the natural raw ability and the professors help them use that in a more refined way. Nice. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. I like how they work together. Yeah, that's that's one of the neat things about it is, you know, like, um, you know, some games like you, you could look at bolt action. Bolt action is officer squads. Mm hmm. And then a few special rules that kind of differentiate them. Every one of these characters is different, but their their combination of spell traits and characteristics, you know, it, it doesn't feel like you're just playing a card with a different character picture on it. Everybody is unique, I think. All right. Well, if everyone's unique, how many unique characters are you getting on a tabletop at any given time? There's a very so that kind of that, that goes that goes into the the uh, uh, team building, I guess you'd call it. You mm -hmm. know, where you just like any other game where you have a set points value, everything has a galleon's cost, mm -hmm. and so you set like uh, a sh a really short game would be like a thirty galleon game, mm -hmm. um, and you can play any number. So like Harry Potter, for example, base is nine galleons. And then um, every spell, like every character has an innate spell that's free. They don't have to pay any additional points. But um, every character, depending on their mastery level, can take additional spells. And then items, everything has uh, a galleon cost. So you take your wizards, you'd add in the extra spells, you'd add in the, like, the potions or the magic items, mm -hmm. and then... So that even differentiates them further. Like, uh, mm. you know, the Deathly Hallows. There's the uh, the Invisibility Cloak and the Elder Wand are mm -hmm. in there. Uh, the the Time Turner is an item you can take. Cool. Uh, you can take a spell book, which allows your character to basically take one free additional spell. Um, uh, a wizard can only have a maximum of three. But like uh, some some wizards are like some of the Slytherin students, like Crab and Goyle. You know they're 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 not exactly top level spellcasters, right. so yeah, you you, you might want to add something to boost them up or give them a mm -hmm. potion or something like that. Nice. 
oh, that I love the feel of that because you can have some yes. some characters that have some really powerful magic items. Harry Potter with his invisibility cloak, for example, um, <laughs> or you know, heaven forbid, Voldemort with the Elder Wand. Um, but that I mean, that totally changes how they would play in the game, and it sounds like the game accommodates for that, um, which is it awesome. does. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So if you're playing a game of Harry Potter, I know you talked about how larger and smaller games go for different amounts of time, but ballpark, what kind of time frame are we looking in a given game if if people knew what they were doing? An hour, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Honestly, I think it takes me more time to deploy the boards and all of the cards and then pick all the spells. I think it takes as long to do that as it does to actually play the game <laughs> once you get the rhythm down. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that if you set it up and then played a number of games that, you know, that investment of time setting it up, you'd get more out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you were just going to try and play uh, on a random Tuesday and you didn't leave the game set up from week to week, then, yes, you would have to spend that time to do it. Um, but well, yeah. and the other thing, too, is you play scenarios. Uh, you can. Uh, I mean, our first game, we just sort of did a generic, uh, a generic kind of game, but the scenarios all have a set number of turns. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so there's one scenario that goes for 10 turns. Most of them are eight, and then there's one that's only four. Um, so each each scenario has... Uh, so the boards are oblong, like mm. uh, they're seven squares by 14 squares, however many centimeters that is total. And each scenario has you set them up in a different combination, whether it be one, two, th- or three different boards. And then their orientation. So, like, you know, you could have three all on the long edge that's mm-hmm. like a nice big square. Or you can have something that's almost like a, like a long hallway kind of thing. Yeah. And then where you place the objectives really dictates. That's another thing. Like, if you know you've only got eight turns and you have to achieve objective points, you really have to focus on that versus I'm going to run around doing cruciatus curse on everybody kind of thing so yeah exactly well i mean it's it, it's it that old war gaming thing of, yeah exactly well you could other do the old war game thing of trying to wipe anyone out but then you're not playing to the mission and you're not actually going to succeed um yeah yeah which is cool i mean again it helps turn the keep the game from turning into um a traditional you know kick your kick your opponent's head in war game with harry potter yes. characters attached which you know, it would be too bad if it did have that feeling. Look, I'm sure there are some right. open battle missions somewhere in there, um, given some of the events of the books and movies. But yes. I'm glad that it, it doesn't do that in general. Yes. Nice. And, and one of the other things, having played a couple of games now, too, is, you know, like everybody has one innate spell and they can take one, two or three, uh, one or two other spells, you know, mm-hmm. and then items. And then that combination of how everything works with your group versus the other group. Like, uh, you know, the the last game we played, my wife's strategy was brilliant. Like, she had three of my four guys petrified halfway through the game. So I'm sitting there going, all right, I can generate PowerPoints and I could stare at objectives, but I can't do anything. So, you know, immediately after, it's like, good God, that's the most powerful spell in the book. And then... You know, she brought up, well, if you do this or this, that helps you offset that. So, you know, 
there's like a uh, it's almost like the the cold war like your opponent does something that's really brilliant and then you're, you're you have to think about how to counter that and then of course they're not going to do it that way again because <laughs> now you've figured yeah. it out but right you know it's just it's a cool way to develop and learn and and keep the game dynamic that's awesome man that sounds so cool yeah. All right, I got to ask, do you know if this game's in stores? Did it actually make it to stores yet, or are we still in the Kickstarter delivery phase of life? So it actually was never a Kickstarter. Uh, it was They had planned to oh, do a Kickstarter, but right, last minute it. went to pre-order. Yeah. Uh, Which right. uh, was part of the controversy. Yeah. Part of, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure there was a reason for it, but... Mm. Um, I have seen people talking about, uh, like, uh, I've seen, uh, uh, interacted with a few people who work in game stores and they have them, which, uh, you know, they complain because they go to work and they come home with their paycheck in Harry Potter miniatures, not actually <laughs> any wages paid. But, um, so I know some stores do have it. Uh, you can order direct from night. Um, uh, they do have, uh, country restrictions that they can deliver to. Yeah. Like I think US, Spain, UK, and then uh, a very, very small handful of others. Yeah. Um, I realize licensing for each of those countries is probably pretty expensive, but um, yeah. I know there are a lot of hurt feelings there. Yeah. There's a lot uh, of Australians who are pretty grumpy about the fact that we yeah. aren't able to get it. Um, but. Now, for those of you who are Australians and listening to this podcast, wondering why I'm talking about a game that I can't possibly get in this country, um, Cast Ice is listened to in equal numbers across the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. So if you are in Australia and you are interested in this game, um, I recommend talking to your relatives in other countries if you have them. Um, I say that because quite a few Australians do. Uh, yeah. Because it is hard to get if you are here. That said, um, if you're in other places, it isn't. Um, and it, it, God, it is a, a great looking game. Um, yeah, I'm, and, I'm impressed. Mm. Well, I will say yep, there are some online retailers that sell it and I don't know if they would have the same country restrictions. You know, you might pay a little bit more in shipping fees, but, uh, you know, mm. it might be worth a shot if you, if you really want to get your hands on the game. That's true. That is very true. Um, I know that some... I mean, some retailers are not allowed to, for example, Games Workshop prevents people from shipping from other countries to Australia um, because the price difference is <laughs> unbelievable uh, between, yes. I mean, Australian prices and U.S. prices are almost double. Uh, maybe not. Speaking of controversy. Yeah, speaking of controversy. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that if people can get away with breaking that embargo and GW's famous for having the ironclad ones, um, that you would be able to get this somehow here yeah. if you really looked online at some of the big U.S. and U.K. or even maybe if the big ones are being watched, maybe the smaller ones, which yeah. I know is a tad naughty and is a little wink and nod. But man, if if you really want to play Harry Potter, um, I can't really see that as you know trying to break the universe in a bad way. Um, yeah. Just trying to get the game in your grubby little paws. Although you might struggle for opponents if you're trying to play it like that. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing is you could uh, you could play a game with just three models to a side, and and you get enough stuff out of the core set that you could just paint up a few things. 
Like, I think the three main characters, Harry, Ron, and Hermione versus four Death Eaters Mm -hmm. is almost equal points. And those all come with the core set. So even if you only got your hands on that, uh, you could easily set it up and play with somebody. That's cool. I like that a lot. And that was my next question. So if you went into a shop and picked up the box game, um, what does it involve? I mean, where does it pick up Harry Potter in the series? It sounds like towards the end. If if I had to pick a spot, I would say it's Order of the Phoenix. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, so book five obviously out of some of the characters may or may not still be part of the story at that point, and there are models available for those. Uh, so it, it's 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 a very rough guideline. Um, the image the models themselves are certainly the slightly older versions of the characters. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at the Dumbledore model, and it's uh, very clearly the second Dumbledore, not the original Richard Harris version. Right. Um, so it kind of puts it in that level, but uh, you could very easily do uh, earlier stories. Like, you know, I've got Gilderoy Lockhart, and that's very clearly Chamber of Secrets, mm-hmm. period, versus, you know. Am I getting neckbeardy about Harry Potter? Yeah, you are. Is that, is that hilarious or what? So good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, if you want her, yeah, I think uh, you'll find. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think I've I've seen hints that they're even doing a Fantastic Beasts expansion of the game as well. So that was my next question: Are we going to yeah. see Fantastic Beasts? And the one after that is: Are we going to see uh, Richard Harris Dumbledore model? Does that exist? So my little experience with night models before this. Um, I suspect that any character that they can make, they will, mm-hmm. and probably have six to seven versions of each of them. Um, what do you mean? I don't. I don't have an Adam West Batman. What are you talking about? <laughs> I in my hand have two different versions of Luna Lovegood. So, uh, hey, you, you know, go. there's yeah, there's the model of her um, uh, as a student, and then there's the model of her in the uh, Gryffindor getup from the Quidditch match. So, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so the stat card is the same, um, but you know it's like uh, one is Luna Lovegood, and then Luna Lovegood parentheses Lion Hat. So you know, uh, I'm sure other night model games have rules about uh, using. You can't use the same character in more than one group unless they're the different versions, and that's how this goes. Hmm. So like, if we we're both playing, I could use one Luna, you could use the other, but we couldn't both use the same version. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, Seamus, it has been awesome talking Potter with you today. Um, yes. Before we go complete, I mean, down a dark, dark hole of Harry Potter neckbeardiness, um, I guess the next question is, is there anything else you want to tell us about the game that maybe I haven't asked you about today? Because I feel like there are just so many things we haven't touched on. Um, but I'm not really sure where to go. Uh, what do you think? Is there anything that you think that people who are either interested about this game or haven't heard about this game should know that we haven't talked about today? Uh, I, the only other thing I would add is going back to our, the, the first segment where we're talking about the models themselves. Um, you know, I, I'm OCD about mold lines Mm -hmm. and, some of these mold lines are exceptionally difficult to clean. 
uh, and things like wands. Uh, I've seen a lot of people, uh, I've got a few friends who receive their box with several broken wands, but oh. uh, uh, I've seen some people doing creative things to sort of re-sculpt broken bits um, and things like that. So it's just something to be aware of is, uh, uh, you know, if you're you're really particular about mold lines like I am, that's, that's a challenge and you're going to have uh, a very small amount of resin dust all over your your hobby space when you're done cleaning them up, but uh, I think the end result is easily worth it. Totally. And just don't breathe that resin dust in, kids, because yes, it's bad for you. Yeah, um, that yeah, is. I'm, my... I'm really getting to the point where I think I have to wear a mask when I clean the next round of models. It's a uh, yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. I was going to say, I did love it when you were talking about that in uh, a chat that we're in, and I posted the picture of the bear standing in the snow. I was like, yep, yep. that's Seamus. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. There you go. Uh, so, Seamus, uh, before we go, uh, we're going to do something a little different on the podcast today, and I'm glad to uh, inflict this upon you. Uh, you are Bumble clearly ball. a man of uh, who Harry Potter falls in the fandom of something that you are a big fan of. So I'm going to throw some quick, smart Harry Potter questions at you. And uh, I would just like to uh, hear your opinion. So Harry Potter. So uh, I guess the first question is, who is your favorite professor? (sighs) It's a very, very, very tough call. Um, Ultimately, if I if I had a loaded wand to my head, I would have to pick McGonagall. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but uh, on screen, I think, like I said earlier, Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of Lockhart is just hilarious. Oh, so good, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I think ultimately I'd have to pick McGonagall. She's uh, she's a really cool character. Yeah, man. I I McGonagall, I think, would be mine as well. Um, that said, uh, I'm a big I'm a I'm a Lupin fan, so yes, would love to see some Lupin on the table if I was playing some Potter myself. Um, all right, there's a Lupin model. Oh yeah, of course there is. I guess my next question is, who's your favorite student? Uh, let me make that specific. Slytherin. You've been playing the Slytherins. Who's your favorite Slytherin? I uh, um, I only play Slytherins so that my family has uh, an opposing group to go mm-hmm. against. Um, favorite Slytherin. I don't know if there is such a thing. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, so we do a book week parade. So we have book week in Australia, National Book Week, and schools, you know, celebrate books for that week. And we always do a character parade. Um, and it was funny for the first time ever. I had more Slytherins in my class this year than Gryffindors, and that I can't. That huh. has never happened in fifteen years of teaching. I have always seen. You know, there's a million Hermione's. There's a million yeah. Harry Potters. There's a couple of Rons. Uh, I even had a Luna a couple of years ago because I had a really blonde girl that sort of fit the part. Nice. Um, in fact, I had another one this year uh, who played Luna. But you actually, it was weird. It was like Slytherins. And I was like, where did you come from, you yeah. evil children? Get out of here. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. If, if I had to pick a favorite Slytherin, uh, I would arguably, I think I would have to go Malfoy because of the way everything wrapped up in the post-log mm-hmm. epilogue. I was going to say, are we taking the story as a whole? If we are, definitely Malfoy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And of the three big Potter 
friends, the super friends of the Potterverse. Who's your fave? Oh, that's Hermione easily. I've I've always uh, I like the smarter characters versus brawlers. Yeah. Yeah, well, Ron's a horse's ass for half of the yes. series at given moments, so it's it's harder yes. to like him yes. consistently all along. And Harry, yep. if you read the books, oh, makes some boneheaded maneuvers, and you just look at Hermione throughout doing you know fist to you know was it uh, face palming, going really, yep. this is how we're doing it. Uh, yeah, it's easy to see why, uh, especially um, when kids read the books why Hermione is often the fave um, I really liken Harry to uh, young to teenage Anakin Skywalker <laughs> there's there's a lot of angst that at yeah. some point it's like seriously can we just get over this shut up. <laughs> yeah exactly Ugh, Ron get over I know it. I know uh. a lot of that is real and that's what kids go through but you know there's this yeah, yeah. no it is as a primary school teacher, it is. Yep. And you go, oh, can we not? Can we not do this, please? Would you like it if he did that to you? Why would no. you do that? Anyway, moving exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right on. Uh, I won't uh, throw a million. Oh, I guess, I guess I will throw a couple more. If you went to Hogsmeade, where is the first place you would go? In Hogsmeade. I had a student uh, ask me this this year, and that's why I'm like, huh? Where would I go? Uh, the answer for me would be the pub, um, because I want to, not because I'm like, woo, I'm going to get drunk, uh, because I want to have some butterbeer. Yeah, I'd, I'd say a butterbeer. Yeah. You think that'd be a tasty beverage? That'd be a good place to start. But if if you're talking about Diagon Alley, I would say Ollivander's. Right. I, I, um, I think the concept of, uh, you know, if you read into the lore and, you know, the wand chooses the wizard and that whole process is just fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, that's why I want to go to the Harry Potter world or the Harry Potter theme park so I can walk down Diagon Alley. Yes. Um, just to see that. I, for the same reason that I can't wait for Star Wars World to open the Disney park <laughs> because uh, I'm going to be up in there. You better believe it. Yep. Uh, yep. Watch this space, kids. See if I can live cast mm -hmm. it. But yeah, it's going to be, <laughs> you just watch me running around like a kid with ADHD and way too much sugar because yep. I'm an adult on ADHD and I'm going to have way too much sugar. <laughs> True story. It's going to be and jet lag at that point. And jet lag. Faux show. It's going to be yes. ugly. Uh, I'm not sure if my wife's going to go want to go with me for that little trip, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the same reason that she won't go to Warhammer World with me. Anyway, uh, yes. I think on that note, uh, I think that will bring Harry Potter to a close. Seamus, thank you, as always, for coming on, man. It has been a pleasure to talk shop with you. Likewise. Well, brother, I, uh, I look forward to uh, hear more about this game in our chat. And uh, if you come to some, you know, ground-shaking revelations that you want to talk about on a cast about this game or others, I hope you come back because it is always, always a pleasure just to kick back and have a laid-back discussion about all the things that are cool on the gaming table. I appreciate that. Thank you for the offer. Right on, bro. Well, uh, you at home, if you have listened to this um, and you would like to comment about anything that you've heard today, uh, or if you have feedback about this episode or any other of Cast Ice, you can find me on Facebook, uh, 
under Cast Dice. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type that into the old search bar, you will find the Cast Dice podcast page, and that's my personal hobby blog. Uh, As I said, my name is Brad, also known as Old Man Morin, and you might see me posting around the place as well. Uh, I do love talking with folks. Um, Yeah, it's just... I, it was, it was, it's been great the last couple of weeks. I've been on holiday. I haven't been podcasting as much as usual. And I know I've mentioned it on prior podcasts, but uh, it has been wonderful to have people send Christmas and New Year's uh, well wishes, um, people who are just regular listeners to the show um, who just, you know, literally just took two seconds to say, hey, Brad, Merry Christmas. Hey, Brad, Happy New Year. Um, it was, it was, it's really nice to be thought of. Uh, in that regard. Um, so to those people, I have to say thank you very much. Um, and if you are listening to this podcasts don't cost money, um, you know, to listen to, but time is precious and time is money to a lot of us. Um, and believe it or not, I'm incredibly time poor. So I appreciate that you took the time to listen to this episode today. So thank you. Thank you very much for your time because, um, yeah, I can't believe that anyone wants to listen to me ramble. <clears throat> Moving on. Um, on that note, uh, oh, I do need to remember, I am now on Twitter. I can't believe I did that. Uh, Old Man Morn is on Twitter, right? Uh, you can find me under Cast Dice. Um, again, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, but it's Cast Dice 1, with the number 1 behind it. Um, look for the same old uh, red, white, and blue uh, logo, you will find me there with the dice with the little Boba Fett antenna. Um, I am there as well. Um, you can see a lot of my... I'm doing mainly Age of Sigmar stuff on Twitter at the moment, but other stuff is on there as well if you would like to follow. I don't know how Twitter works. I'm a curmudgeon of the lowest order. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to this and other episodes of Cast Dice. Um, guys, like our good buddy Casey always says, yeah, I hope your beverages are cold. I hope your dice roll hot. But when you are playing the games that we love, I hope that you, more than anything else, are having fun. This is Cast Dice saying good night. Another day ride